Thank you for joining us today for the preaching ministry of Dr. Chris Aiken, Senior Pastor of Inglewood Baptist Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Inglewood is a dynamic ministry reaching Eastern North Carolina and the world with the timeless truth of the gospel. For more information, visit us online at inglewoodbaptist.com. Now here's Pastor Chris with today's message. Excuse me. Good morning. I'm glad you're here. Take your Bibles. If you brought a copy of the scriptures, open to Hebrews chapter four, Hebrews four. We're going to pick back up in our series of Hebrews. We're going to be in verse 14 this morning and uh, work our way through the whole end of the chapter of chapter four. That'd be verse 16. So the, uh, the, that song, Pastor Schuyler, uh, when we were laying out the book of Hebrews and how we were going to do that, man, he's been after me for that song for, golly, months. And then we took the Christmas break and everything, and he's like, man, I can't wait to get to Behold the Lamb. Because, hey, by the way, the title of today's message, Behold the Lamb. And uh, so, we're back in the book of Hebrews. We're back on track with that. I'm grateful for your presence here. Um, let me introduce the message to you this way, if I could. Some people would say, some people would say, some people would say, some people would say that the teenage years are some of the most rebellious years people ever go through in their life. And by the way, that's true in a lot of cases. It's true to some degree and in probably even more cases than that. But sometimes the issue isn't necessarily uh, a person pushing back on a parent's authority as much as it is a, a void, a vacuum, a deficit, if you will, in the mind of a teenager about whether or not they can trust that what the parents are telling them is, in fact, the best that, that's for them. It's not necessarily pushing back as though I've examined it and I know you're wrong and I don't care what you say. It's sometimes it's, can I trust what you say? Now, that fits into what we're talking about today because... I think all of us at some point or another ask ourselves the question, can I truly trust the authority in my life? When I was in my middle school years, I hit kind of a rough patch with my parents. It was their fault. They, did, they didn't understand me. They weren't listening to me. They didn't know what was best for me. Just basic parenting stuff. In fact, my parents, man, they went through a really tough spot with that. It, it took them until I was about 25 before they smartened up. I'm just going to tell you. It just, they really had no clue until then. Y'all know what I just said? At one point, I got, uh, I got pretty fed up with the way things were at home and made the decision I was going to strike out on my own. Now, I'm in, I think, seventh grade at that time. I was going to strike out on my own, and I left to go to school that day, just like I did every other day. And uh, after school, I decided, well, I'm just not going home. I'm just going to shoot on out on my own. I, I didn't pack any clothes or anything. I just got on my yellow moped, banana yellow, real moped, like it had pedals that you pedaled, moped. And, and I rode right past my house and rode another 10 or 12 miles into the adjacent county to my friend Shane's house. And it was there that his mom said that she would feed me and pay for college and take me in until probably retirement or something of that nature. And, and I was just, I, I decided, I, my parents didn't understand I'm going to strike out on my own. Well, unbeknownst to me, Shane's mom called uh, a neighbor that I had 
and said, hey, uh, what's going on over at Harold and Vicky's house? What's happening over there? He said, well, the law's over there right now. The sheriff's out there. His parents are worried sick and they filed a missing person report and do you know anything? Now, meanwhile, I didn't know what's going on until dad's truck started coming up the driveway. Because Shane's mom told him, said, listen, Chris is okay, safe. You can cancel your police report. And I know where he is. If you'll come over to the house, I believe you'll see you. And to be honest with you, when I saw dad's truck coming up there, my heart kind of dropped a little bit. I wasn't necessarily mad because I'd gotten ratted out as much as I was afraid. Because the question was, how would dad respond to my actions? It's an issue of trust. More on that story later. We left off in November looking at Hebrews chapter 4. And as we were looking at it, we had just discussed a rest that was available to us in Christ. That had been promised to us, promised to all those who trusted in God. But that which had eluded those who had not trusted God. And as we finish up chapter 4 Today, the writer rewinds an argument to the discussion of Jesus as high priest. So he rewinds all the way back to chapter 2 around verse 17. And he speaks of the high priestly office of Jesus. And that's what I want to look at with you today as he picks back up that argument beginning in verse 14. We're in Hebrews 4 and 14. If you're able, can I invite you to stand with me in honor of the word of God? If you're joining us from home, we're grateful for your presence here. Thank you for being with the family of Inglewood. I'm reading from the New American Standard Translation this morning. Hebrews 4 and 14, the Bible says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but... One who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Pause right there. And Father, in these moments, would you help us not only to understand more clearly Christ as our high priest, but would you draw our hearts to a place of trust? trust and then find our response pleasing in Jesus name amen and amen thank you for standing you be seated if you'd like to follow along there is an outline available for you on your app I want to show you this morning three realities three out actualities three truths three things that are absolutely real about the high priestly role of Jesus in a message simply entitled behold the lamb and I want you to notice with me first of all in order for Jesus to be our high priest that's a little odd to us I'm going to unpack what a high priest does but in order for Jesus to be our high priest we have to trust him so I want you to notice with me the purchased security by our high priest the purchased security in our high priest go back to verse 14 with me if you would he says in verse 14 he says therefore since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, then let us hold fast our confession. Now in the English, the words that translated there that I said, since, since we have, those are three words in the English, but it actually is just one word in the original language. A single Greek word that speaks of possession or ownership 
or belonging to someone. So here's what he says. He says, since you possess Christ, since you own him, since he is holy or since he belongs to you, by the way, appears in the present tense. So it's not spoken of as something that's potential since one day you might get Christ or as something in the past since you once had Christ, but present tense, since you right now have in your possession Christ Jesus, a great high priest, then hold fast your confession. Certainly, he's talking not to everyone on the planet. It's, it would be, it, it's, it's not even helpful to say that we're all children of God and that, uh, and that, that, that all of us have a great high priest. And that, because, listen, in order to have a great high priest, you have to have yielded yourself to him as Lord. You have to have trusted him. You have to have come back to the Father in repentance and found restoration, found redemption. Apart from that, you're, this doesn't apply to you. It eludes you. The rest that comes in Christ is true for those who are his, but for those who are not his, he's not mediating a role for you. But for those that are his, we have a high priest. Now, when we start thinking about this high priestly role, what, what exactly do we have in a great high priest? You have to go back to maybe some of your Old Testament Bible knowledge if it, if it makes sense to you. The office of high priest, there was only one high priest appointed at a time among God's people. This high priest served the role of a mediator. Now, there were other priests. There were other uh, people who did priestly duties. There were some who sang in the, in, the, in, in the temple and in the tabernacle. There were some who, who offered sacrifices in the temple and in the tabernacle. But the great high priest, the high priest, he had a special role, a more significant role, one that no one else could do. He served as a mediator who on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, could, on behalf of all the people, come before the holiness of God, into the presence of God at the ark. And there at the mercy seat could bring a blood sacrifice for a perfect lamb, and he could offer that up as atonement for the sins of all of the people. He was a mediator, one who mediated, who stood between holy God and sinful man. And by the way, not only could he do that, he did that every year. Year after year after year after year until Jesus. Because see, when Jesus came, things changed. It's a fast forward. We'll come back to it again in uh, a number of weeks. But jot down maybe Hebrews chapter 9 verses 11 and 12. The writer of Hebrews says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered <clears throat> through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. The high priest would, before Jesus, every year come in and say, Lord, on behalf of all the people, all the people are, are grieved over our sin. We repent, we turn from those, and we declare you are our covenant God. But then he'd have to repeat it again, and repeat it again, and repeat it again. 
But Jesus came in and once for all, he stood and he said, Father, as both the Son of God and Son of Man, as both God and man in equal not in equal parts, but 100% God and 100% man. In the uniqueness of being the God-man, he came with his own blood, standing before the Father, mediated the relationship between holy God and sinful man. And once for all settled the debt of all humanity. If they'd have him as high priest. Jesus accomplished a sufficient, a permanent redemption as the son of God and the savior of mankind now that's the confession that we're talking about in verse 14 since we have such so great a high priest who's passed through the heavens Jesus the son of God let us hold fast our confession our confession is that Jesus and Jesus alone stands in a mediatorial role between man and God Jesus and Jesus, not Mary, not a guy who wears his shirt backwards and sits in a box. Jesus and Jesus alone stands between man and God as the mediator of our faith. That's our confession. Now remember the word to confess. I tell you this often at the end of a service where I tell you that uh, if we confess our sin, to confess is the word homologeo, it means, to, uh, it means to say the same thing as. That's what it means here. So our confession is to agree with or to say the same thing as has always been said, as Jesus has revealed, as God has made clear. We must hold fast, he said, to this confession of who Jesus is. Hebrews 3 and verse 1 reminds us who Jesus is. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Two different functions for Christ that we don't want to miss out on. First of all is the word apostle. The word literally means, it literally means a sent one. So here's what he's saying. He says, we must hold on to our confession that God sent one for us and his name is Jesus. He didn't send Buddha. He didn't send Muhammad. He didn't send Joseph Smith. He didn't send, if your name's Joseph Smith, you just got caught up in something crazy. I'm, not, I'm talking about Mormonism. He didn't, he, hey listen, he didn't send any of these others in the way Jesus has come. He sent his son, Jesus. how do you know he sent him, Chris? Do you remember John 3 and verse 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He gave his son for us, he sent his son for us. The sent one of our faith. And then secondly, the high priest, our intercessor. Not only was Jesus sent, but he was sent as one who would intercede for us. He is the intercessor of our confession. Hey, listen, Jesus alone stands as mediator on our behalf. That's why in the book of Acts, the apostles confess this in Acts 4 and verse 12. When they said, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that is given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name. There's no other name. There's no other name but Jesus. 
Now listen, if you've been in church for a minute, if you've been in a Christian church for a minute, you may yawn at that. Like, oh, we're hearing that again. But can I tell you something? It doesn't matter if you live in the nation of Afghanistan and have never heard a sound in your life or not, your way to be mediated before the Father, your way of being reconciled to the Father comes by the no other name given among, un, given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. You could live on the south side of Rocky Mount. You could live on the northernmost tip of Maine. You could live in the, in, the, in the depths of Antarctica. You could live in the most populated place in Europe. You could live in the heart of Mumbai. But there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. You can say, I yawned through that, Chris. I've heard that so many times, but I'm here to say to you, Praise God you've heard that so many times. It ought to throw us a little bit to think that 96,000 people in Nash and Edgecombe County around us, with us having heard it so many times, have yet to bow a knee. It ought to cause us to question how is that possible when we have the name the writer of Hebrews says, because you have such a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to this confession. Jesus is unique. He's different. He's not one of many gods. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 says, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. He's unique. He's the only one ever like him. So the exhortation to hold fast to the historical Jesus, the sent one, and the, the mediator of our faith is essential for you and I. We're told to hold fast. That word hold fast means to seize or to cling or to control. The word's been used for those of my friends in law enforcement. It's been used uh, and translated in other places to speak of an arrest. It's the fetters that, that, that bind us to God. It's to grab a hold of. It's to not turn loose of. He says, hold fast and never let go of the confession of Christ. As we've seen and as we'll see again, there are several warnings in Hebrews to stand firm or to hold fast to our faith in the confession of Christ, to not try to move on, to not try to move back because everything else is less than Jesus. That's why I titled the series we're in, Jesus is Better. Because no matter what you compare him to, Jesus is better. Yeah, but what about this religion? It seems more peaceful. Jesus is better. What about this religion? It's older. Jesus is better. What about, what about this thing in my head that I just came up with? Friend, Jesus is better. Why should I live a holy life, Chris? Because Jesus is better. But this thing promises to bring me pleasure, but not like Jesus, because Jesus is better. He says we're exhorted to hold fast to our confession that God, in care and concern for you and I, and in jealousy for his own glory, sent his one and only son, who is the great high priest of our confession. Hold fast 
to that confession, the purchased security in our high priest. Notice, secondly, the perfected sympathy of our high priest. The sympathy of our high priest. How Jesus became sympathetic to you and I. Look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Now here's what's going on. The writer of Hebrews is trying to give us a case. He's laying out an argument now for us to come to a place where we can trust our high priest, the high priest of our confession. And he does so by telling us, teaching us now, that Jesus is sympathetic toward you and I. He moves from Christ's power, from God's benevolence, to to now Christ's sympathy toward us. That's a, sympathy was a bit unusual for people in that day, and it, it kind of is for us as well. But especially in that day. It was commonly understood that uh, if you had sympathy, you must have passions. And the higher ethic in the first century would have been to be a dispassionate person, someone who was never rattled. Someone who you could tell them, your car just crashed and they would go, verily. Your insurance was just canceled, truly. Your child has just run off into sin. I understand. They would think that being dispassionate meant that you had somehow elevated yourself above, above the forces that might draw you into emotion. And, and there's some truth to that, but it's not that that was a greater thing. It's actually a weakness. How do you know? Because Jesus was sympathetic. That word sympathetic or sympathy, it's a, it's a conjunction. Sim, which means... Uh, with or together, and then pathos, uh, the word for where we get passion, with passion, with feeling. Jesus becomes our high priest with feeling toward us. He's not some stoic, dispassionate figure who applies some law without emotion. He's a perfect judge. He's also sympathetic to you and I. What are a couple of ways that he's sympathetic? I want you to notice, first of all, that Jesus is sympathetic to us in our weaknesses or our limitations. He's sympathetic to us in our weaknesses. You realize that you and I have weaknesses. Jesus knows that as well, and he's experienced them with us. Matthew 26, verses 40 to 41, Jesus talks about the weaknesses we experience. He says in verse 40, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh, our humanity is weak. Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, there's some stuff in my mind that I've set out that I'm going to do, but I don't seem to do. And there's some stuff that I've sworn off and said I'm not going to do, and that I seem to do. So if I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do, who is to set me free from that? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. He says there's something in our lives that uh, 
that, that, that doesn't carry out with the things that we know is right. And sometimes that's based on fatigue. Sometimes it's based on uh, struggles. Sometimes it's based on sickness or pains or aches. You and I experience all of these things. But did you know that all of those things were experienced by Jesus as well? Jesus experienced all of that. Why? Because he is, our, he is sympathetic to us in our weaknesses. I know it's, it's odd to think this way, but did you know that there was a time in Jesus' life when he had to learn to roll over? Before he could crawl. He learned to walk on wobbly knees just like a toddler in your house. He fell down and skinned his knees. He knew what it was to be hungry, to be tired. And we think, oh, wait, Chris, you've just taken glorious deity and you made him frail like us. Exactly. That's how he learned sympathy. With Apart from his deity, in his humanity, he experienced what it was to be weak like we are. So he knows what it feels like. Jesus got headaches. He knew fatigue. How do you know? He slept in a boat some other dudes were driving. If another dude's driving a boat, I'm staying awake watching him. Jesus went and took a nap. Storm comes up, still snoring. Jesus probably snored. Some of you right now are thinking, hmm, I'd never be married to him. I got it. Listen, weakness. He's sympathetic to our weaknesses. He's sympathetic to our struggle with temptations. Why? Because he was tempted. Matthew 4 and verse 1. Following his baptism, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness for this purpose, to be tempted by the devil. Do you realize that prior to that, Jesus had never, prior to his humanity, Jesus had never been tempted? But in his humanity, he came to experience what it was for you and I when we're tempted. See, we think we've got the market cornered on that. Man, I've been tempted. If Jesus had to go through what I had to go through, he'd know why I blew it. Listen, he was tempted in all ways as you are, yet without sin. This is something he learned in his humanity. He was perfected in him, in his humanity, because he couldn't do that in his deity. James 1 verse 13 says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor Does he himself tempt anyone? Jesus learned to rely on God's help and God's guidance and the fellowship with the Father in his humanity. He learned to trust God. Hebrews 5 and verse 8, though he was a son, he learned obedience. Hear me, from the things which he suffered, from the difficulties he went through. He learned obedience. Now, I'm going to tell you, it causes me to scratch my head when I think the omniscient God of the universe learned anything. And yet the scripture says he learned obedience through the struggles. He learned dependence through the struggles 
that he went through. He learned what it was like to be weak by becoming as we are, weak. He learned what it was like to wrestle with temptation by being tempted himself. Some have said, well, Jesus was never really tempted like I am because, man, he never gave in to temptation. Let me say to you instead, the temptation Jesus was facing was higher and more intense than anything we have or will ever face. How do you know that, Chris? Because he never gave in. See, it doesn't take special strength to be tempted and give in. It takes strength to be tempted and not give in. C.S. Lewis said it this way in Mere Christianity, quote, you find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. This is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They've lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. Now, that may not be inspired, but it's doggone good. And it reminds us there is no temptation, there's no struggle, there is no draw, no allure that you and I experience that exceeds what Christ did, only he did it perfectly. So you don't have to come to him and go, Lord, I know you're not going to get this. I know you're not going to understand what I'm going through. He would say, oh, I, not only do I understand, I'm sympathetic to what you're going through. A sympathy I learned in my humanity. That's no small comfort to me and should be the same for you that our Jesus, our intercessor, our great high priest knows the struggle knows it is real, knows our anxiousness, knows the weightiness of holiness. And in that knowledge, that sympathy, he mediates on our behalf. The purchased security of the high priest, the perfect sympathy of our high priest. Notice number three, the promised solution through our high priest. How does he as high priest then, solve our dilemma. See, some of you may be thinking, well, Chris, that's good, and I get it. And one day, in eternity, this is going to be the only thing I'm going to be concerned about. But how does that help me today? How does Jesus, being my great high priest, who settles my sin debt, who understands me, who sympathizes me, how does that help me today? How does that help me get through Monday? Verse 16, therefore, because of all that I've said, because of all of these things, because he is the great high priest of our confession, because he is sympathetic to us in every way, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He says, if it's true, then let's draw near. Let us draw near. Now that's by the way, that's not on Jesus, that's on us. It's an action required of us. If we're to experience the hope, then we must choose to trust in the one who has done what he says he's done, who has demonstrated, who has been 
through it, who is sympathetic to us, who has invited us to him. And we must draw near. It's an action required by us, by faith, and it's evidence of our confession. Pastor Tony Evans said this. He said, the way you know you have faith is your feet are moving. So you can't just up and say, man, I believe, unless you're doing something about what you believe in. He said, let us draw near. Let us draw near with confidence. That word means boldness or security. It means to have courage. He says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that place where Jesus reigns from and where he intercedes on our behalf from. Draw near to him. Why? Because he's sympathetic to you. And we do so that we may receive mercy. Mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Mercy. It's not getting what we deserve. I've met folks that have said, man, I just, I, I'm, I'm looking for justice in this world. Hogwash, you're looking for justice in this world. You don't want justice, you're dead in justice. You want mercy. You want a faithful and merciful high priest who, knowing your weaknesses, still says, come to me if you're weary and tired and I'll give you rest. You want, you want one who's not going to give you what you deserve. Mercy. But not just mercy, also grace, that we might find mercy and grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. It's not getting what we do deserve, mercy, and getting what we don't deserve, God's favor, grace, in order to help us in time of need. Not in time of eternity, not in time of showing up at the pearly gates and like Peter's actually on gate duty. But it's like right now, let us draw near with confidence knowing to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. We can do that because we know that nothing we face is bigger than Jesus. No wrong you've done can out his sin payment. No penalty you're due exceeds what he has already paid. But to experience that hope, we have to draw near, clinging to the confession of Jesus as he's revealed to be, not as we might want to shape him to be like, but as he's revealed himself to be, God's not withheld anything good from us. Every good and perfect thing that comes down uh, from the Father comes down to us, comes down from our Father. Because he is good and perfect and he's not withheld anything we need. And he's revealed to us the Jesus that we need. And to trust him is to by faith respond by drawing near to him. How's that going to help me on Monday? Do you think he's a yesterday God or a tomorrow God or a right now God? I'm convinced he's a right now God or we're all sunk. We'll never see tomorrow. If he's just a yesterday God, we're on our own right now. It's, a, it's every man, woman, and child for themselves. But he, he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. 
He's not tomorrow's hope. He's our sustaining hope today. As he's always been. True faith chooses to draw near. Chooses to lean in. Chooses to rely on God's mercy and God's grace is our only sustaining hope. That's faith. That's biblical faith. Now to finish the story. That day at Shane's house when dad's truck came up. Y'all have heard me talk about big boy before. And I'm probably a little nostalgic. This is the week, the anniversary of burying him. But uh, as he was coming up through there, man, my life, however short it was, flashed before my eyes. I thought, man, this is going to be over. Dad's, Dad's going to kill me. But you know, he didn't, he didn't even lecture me. He sat down the tailgate on that truck and we sat back there and he said, what's going on? And he listened. And he talked with me. And he said, here's my word as your dad. If you'll come home, we'll work till we work it all out. And we loaded a yellow moped in the back of a 72 Chevy C10 pickup truck. Straight six, 250. Some of you car guys know what I'm talking about. And I jumped up over in the shotgun seat and we rode home. And began a process of me realizing my parents weren't as goofy as I thought they were. Or them smartening up depends on which way the rebel wants to talk. Why'd you tell us your story, Chris? Because some of you have been trying to make sense out of your life and out of your choices and the consequences you've been living with. But they all stem from the fact that you've been running away from the one safe place, the one sympathetic source, the one genuine invitation to wholeness on your yellow moped. And friend, I want to tell you today, regardless of Whatever song you have in your head that we've aggrandized, you weren't born to be wild. You were born to be loved. And you can trust the high priest if you'll come home today. Would you pray with me? Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message has been a blessing. If today's message has prompted you to consider a next step with God, we would love to assist you. Simply drop by our website at inglewoodbaptist.com slash next or give us a call at 252-937-8254 and let us know how we can assist you. If today's message was an encouragement to you, let me encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you consume this content. That really helps us reach a wider audience with the life-changing hope of Jesus Christ. We hope you will join us next week, and until next time, may the Lord bless you.